Welcome to WeAreTechnology.com's User-Friendly 2.0 with host Bill Sickens, Technology Architect. And this is User-Friendly 2.0. Welcome to this week's show. Jeremy and Gretchen, welcome. Hello. Hi there. So you guys have a discussion this week that we're going to have a little later in the show about Lord of the Rings, and we've had a lot of questions coming in about that, so we may be putting you on the hot seat in coming weeks to do a Q&A. Well, we might might need an expert. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. I think you guys are pretty close to that, but you never know who might show up here. So we'll have to figure that one out. But keep sending your questions and your comments, one user-friendly on Facebook, one user-friendly on Twitter. And also add us to your Amazon Flash Briefing. The way you do that is go into your skills and add user-friendly 2.0 to your Flash Briefing. Fisher Roofing, your local residential and commercial roofing company, now hiring honest, hardworking individuals at www.fisherroof.com. What's in the news? Apple blocks Facebook app, which states Apple gets 30% of the proceeds. Yeah, so it's like, what's up with the Apple developers and all this stuff that's going on uh, lately? You know, we had Fortnite and they're suing and there's been some other things. And now Facebook, Microsoft even has a problem. And What's going on here is that Facebook is creating an app to support small business, and they're trying to raise money for small business, and 100% of the proceeds are supposed to go to what it's supposed to go to. The only thing is, and where Facebook and Apple seem to have bucked horns on this, is that Apple takes 30% of anything that is sold through their market. So, in other words, when you download an app from Apple, from the Apple Store, the App Store, Anything that's sold in the app, or if the app itself costs money, they get 30% of this, what Facebook is calling an Apple tax. Yeah, that's a bit high. Yeah, and uh, and, and the same thing goes for Google. I mean, both platforms charge that. The only difference being that Google, you can actually install software without going through Play Store if you want to. It'll give you security warnings and all kinds of stuff like that, but it is possible. Apple has it locked down, so it's the App Store or nothing. And what Facebook did is they put in their software that if you contribute through Apple, you 30% of that will go back to Apple. And Apple blocked the publishing of the app because they don't want that to be in there. So that is the problem here. And that's why Facebook is accusing Apple of censorship and a bunch of other things. U.S. and U.K. have the slowest 5G speeds of the 12 countries tested. I didn't so, think we had the, I didn't think we had this yet. We don't. Oh, okay. We're, well, we're starting to. I mean, it's in test markets and things like that right now. Uh-huh. And uh, this is a one of those things where you can have something that is a technology and not have it necessarily work the way that it's supposed to. So 5G is faster than 4G. So for anybody that hasn't heard about any of this stuff, our cell phones currently use 4G speed for most of the newer ones. And 5G is the next generation, G being for generation. And it's supposed to allow for a much faster platform. In fact, 5G technology is being targeted to replace wired internet connections like from your cable company or fiber optic or that type of a thing. And they're able to do it. There's low latency and it uh, does have a lot of speed. The problem is, is that they're standing it up not that much faster than 4G. So while it has the capability of going faster, the cell phone companies aren't using it. So what ends up happening is you have this new technology, which is great. The consumer gets their hands on it, and then it doesn't feel like it's that much better because in all like you know reality, it's not. So for reference, U.S. speed is about 1.8 times faster than 4G right now. And the U.K. 
is actually pretty close to that. Download speeds of 32.6 megabits per second, which is a little bit below us on 5G. But the point of it being is they're going to need to drastically ramp that up if 5G is going to do what it's supposed to do. And the other thing that gets confusing on this is it's come down that there's three different types of 5G. There's a broadband version and some others, and you want to be careful because when you buy a 5G device, you want to make sure that that device is capable of doing all the different kinds of 5G. Otherwise, it won't be compatible on down the road with certain things. Sounds very confusing. Okay, technology backdoors requested by politicians. Yes, and as a programmer, I can understand why the security experts are saying this is a very bad idea. So of course it is. the argument in favor of this is when you have situations where the bad guys have a cell phone and the government needs to get in there to prosecute them or get information or that type of thing, the government would like a way to be able to do that. And the current way that everything's made on both Android and iPhone and uh, even our computer platforms is to secure it. So once you lock it down with a password, there is no way, at least that's what they tell us, to be able to get in there and get to your information. Now, the problem with putting in a backdoor is it would create kind of a universal key, if you will, kind of like the mm -hmm. maid's key at a hotel that can open every door. And if you have this, that key has every possibility of getting out into the wrong hands. So your choice here really is to have encryption and security on your device where nobody can get in or not have it at all where everybody can get in. There isn't a middle of the road. And that's the concern that a lot of software developers and security experts have about this type of thing. The other thing I will say is that pretty much whenever they've needed to get into phones, they have been able to. Uh, there are companies that will hack them professionally and that type of thing. But uh, that, I guess they would like it to be a little bit easier and consistent. Amazon wins FAA approval for a Prime Air drone delivery. Yeah, so we've heard about this in the past. The uh, Amazon has gotten approval. They've been testing this out for a while of having packages delivered by drone. And uh, this almost seems like a sci-fi thing. There are some limitations on it. The package has to be five pounds or lighter, some things like that. But the FAA has given approval for Amazon to be able to fly the drones outside of the line of sight. So that was the restriction that they were operating under, which they would need to be able to do that to be able to get beyond where they could see from the uh, Amazon plant or the Amazon Fulfillment Center, as it were, with these things. So I don't know. What do you guys think about that? It's 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 interesting, and as long as the um, the technology has some kind of sensor to prevent um, mid air collisions, you know. Oh, it is, I mean, I'm going to get guess that they're going to be flying over everybody's houses and yards, and people are going to be afraid and freak out and throw nets on them and shoot at them just because that's what people do. Yeah, and that's all definitely uh, definitely things that are being con you know considered. I think, and what they're doing is stepping this up to really a bigger test market. So some of the advantages to this is they're talking about deliveries on Amazon Prime in 30 minutes or less. Hmm. So that would be kind of interesting. You could add, be like a pizza. You order your product and it's there almost immediately. They're testing over areas of low population densities. Again, the five-pound packages are less. Uh, it's electric delivery vehicle, so it is clean air, which is kind of cool. nice. Yeah. And um, – the uh, devices that they're using right now can fly up to 15 miles, so that's the limit. Hmm. And they're looking at actually having this out in some test markets. They haven't said where yet in about a uh, couple of months. So whatever that may mean, that might actually mean for the holiday season, uh, thinking about where that is and where we are right now. But it's so kind they, of interesting. 
So they figured out the problems with airspace. Yeah, they figured out the problems with airspace. And uh, this is also another issue because drones have been a big deal with that. They had down in Los Angeles this week, a plane almost hit a guy flying in a jetpack over LAX. Yeah. So the whole thing with airspace is actually kind of a big deal and kind of a concern right now. And I know that the FAA is working on some new systems here because at some point there will also be flying cars. Those are being tested out. And with yeah. all of these different things, you know, it's like I'm scared enough driving down the road with the way people drive, much less flying in the air. My goodness, it'd be like <laughs> flying with a Red Baron or something. So, uh, um, yeah. you know, uh, it's just, uh, yeah, you never know. You never know. So uh, I think these are issues that they're working on and things that they are looking at. But as technology advances, that's a very good point. Blackbod faces class action lawsuit after data breach. Yeah, so what so- is this? Okay, BlackBot is a company that makes software for nonprofit organizations and uh, tools and different things like that. Uh, they have a lot of services, uh, software as a service or SaaS type environments and that type of thing. So it would be for tracking members, getting grants, getting money and that kind of a thing. And they got hacked and a lot of the information on donors and that type of thing got exposed earlier in the year. The, hmm. hack, the hack seems to have happened on February 7th. We haven't been able to completely confirm that. And it was discovered by the company in May, on May 14th. And wow. then they told everybody about it about two months later. Oh. So the thing of it is, I think the biggest concern here is the type of data, because this is a little bit different. Financial data and medical data are always the biggest things that the bad actors want to get and want to get out because they can use it and sell it and that type of a thing. And donors almost certainly are people with money. So having mm-hmm. that kind of a list, including personal information on them, could definitely be something that could be used for nefarious purposes. And that's where the concern of all of this comes from. Well, we've got a great show for you this week. We've got the discussion on Lord of the Rings coming up here. We're also going to be looking at the technology used in ghost hunting and some things that go along with producing those type of TV shows. Hey, Halloween's just around the corner. We're already in September. Time to start thinking about such things. This is User-Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. Today, we are going to have another segment on our ongoing Lord of the Rings book reviews that we've been doing for a little while. I believe this is our third one. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I kind of think of more of them as discussions than book reviews, because I, I think there are certain standards for like reviews and we're just talking about this stuff. <laughs> yeah. So we have no standards here. No, uh, so <laughs> yeah, no standards. <laughs> All right. So our well, discussion. Standard, it's just, you know, the flag. Yeah. So, you know, right, right. <laughs> and there you are. Um, Okay, so I'm just just cruising along through the books, and and I mean cruising at a very slow speed. Uh, <laughs> and um, one of the things that I've noticed that you don't hear or you don't come across in the movies is the vocabulary. Mm-hmm. And um, J.R.R. Tolkien um, had an amazing vocabulary, and I don't know if it was just him with a great vocabulary or whether it was the time period. But um, one of the things that I was reading through going and going, oh dear, what does that word mean? What is that? So we have words like sword, freshet, del, 
flat, fossy, and bowl. And these are all different descriptions of different types of ways to describe land. Like, mm-hmm. what was a sward? Was that the- A sward is a green space. Yeah. The green sward was like a, a, a big chunk of grass or a, a field of grass, you know, where they're- it's not interrupted by anything. And when was the last time it, you heard somebody go, hey, go run over there to the sword? <laughs> yeah. Well, I will have to start now. <laughs> and then flat was, um, I believe that was the medieval a word that meant like a, a, a flat landing space. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was kind of cool. I mean, he really, um, he put a lot of work into these stories. Um, so I'm in to the point where we've gone into uh, Lothlorien. And we encounter a character named Haldir, mm-hmm. and he's an elf, and we don't see him in the movie. So there are lots of characters and other things that when you read the books, you're going to get exposed to a lot of different stuff. Um, uh, the story, uh, the, the, um, the travel is longer, and you run across like poetry mm-hmm. and music that they just didn't have time to put into the um, movies. Right. Um, let's see. Also, I noticed that Boromir, he's not as, he, he's kind of edgy and creepy in the movie. And I think they did that to maybe establish that he was somebody to be concerned about mm-hmm. in the long run. But in the very beginning part, he doesn't give off that, that feeling like he's somebody to be worried about. Right. And um, whatever the darkness is that overtakes him um, from the ring or whatever it is, um, that happens very quickly. Not not a buildup. It, it's not a buildup. It's not like he's been contemplating, I want the ring, you know, the whole time. And uh, so he just gets hit by that and freaks poor Frodo out, just like he does in the movie. Mm-hmm. And um, there's another section where... Um, Frodo be before, um, is that is that before or after? I can't remember. I wasn't reading. Uh, yeah, um, Frodo has some amazing visions when he gets to a place called Amon Hen, and this is around the time when Boromir freaks out. And there are some interesting foreshadowing. I'm not going to tell people what it is, just because. If they want to sit down and read the book. I'm well, that's what foreshadowing is for. Yeah. <laughs> We're foreshadowing. You need to go read it. Yeah. And, and this is also a very important moment where Frodo really decides that he needs to go to Mordor himself. He was like, during this whole time, not really sure what to do. And it isn't until this moment he uh, comes to the decision that he needs to go to Mordor. The ring needs to be destroyed no matter what. And also, um, when Boromir uh, dies after trying to defend, I think, Merry and Pippin, mm-hmm. um, the, the three remaining, um, Aragorn, Gimli. Gimli, and Legolas, they sing a burial song, hmm. which uh, I thought was really kind of touching. I thought, wow, you know? And, and um, that also gives you the idea that, you know, they've been on this trip together a lot longer than you think in the movie. Yeah, it's like a couple of like a week or so, two weeks or so in the movie. <laughs> and, and and in and in the book, it's a lot longer than that. So there's a, there's a deeper bond between the characters, and so they do this beautiful like burial. Uh, you know, they put him in the boat and let him float down, and they sing this beautiful song, and it's like oh. And um, the trip to find um, Merry and Pippin, and dealing with the uh, the writers of Rohan. 
that takes longer. Mm-hmm. It, it's a lot longer adventure for. Um, yeah, that seemed like uh, it was a couple of days. You know, they're they're running behind yeah, the orcs. And yeah, yeah. And and so it was a lot more difficult. So you understand that uh, you get the idea that the tracking was tough. And then um, something else that I noticed, which I really thought was kind of pleasing was that the movies actually lifted up lines from the books. That's always good. I mean, I, I was like literally reading along and going, and then hearing the actor say these words. And it's like, oh, hey, this came, they, they use this very line. And sometimes they don't use it in the exact same place. Mm-hmm. But it's like the um, Peter Jackson and his crew understood this is a very important statement and we're going to make sure it gets in the movie. Cool. And I, I thought that was neat. I always like it when they do that. Um, and then I'm to the point of Mary and Pippin reaching Fangorn. Um, that's mm. the dark forest. The now, and tree beard. Mary and Pippin are going to surprise you if you read the books. Okay. The Mary and Pippin in the movies, what would, how would you describe them? They're kind of comic relief. Yeah. They're they're not necessarily as serious as everybody else. Yeah, and they're, they they don't seem to be very bright. No, not really. Yeah, um, in the book, they're a lot brighter, and cool. they really do think things through. And um, Pippin's a lot smarter in the book than what you think. <laughs> um, and and there are some things that happen that you you get impressed. And the tree beard part is really cool. So, anybody else have anything? Mm, read the books. Yeah, read the books. We've actually had a number of listener questions on this, so in future weeks, I'm going to put you on the hot seat and ask you. Oh, <laughs> This is User-Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. This is the part of the show where we answer your questions. And in order to answer your questions, we need to know what they are. Send them to us. One User-Friendly on Facebook, one User-Friendly on Twitter, or give us a call, 503-766-6264, or send them to us at our website, userfriendlyshow.com. What questions do we have this week? Can voice recognition be used to write a document? Yeah, that's an interesting question, and the answer to that is voice recognition is really coming into its own. So we've seen this with smart speakers. You're starting to be able to carry on a normal conversation, but we're also seeing it in a dictation mode in most of the word processing programs we have. Word supports it. um, Google Docs supports it. So all of that's built into those different products. And what it is is just a matter of testing or clicking on a microphone button. And they're actually taking this to a third step now where you can be having a conversation online, like a phone call or something like that, and it's actually capable of taking dictation of that phone conversation into and including knowing who the different speakers are, labeling it accordingly, and all of that kind of stuff. So this has come a long way. It's a piece of software that's been designed uh, early on. It came out in a product called Dragon Naturally Speaking that you would buy as a third-party standalone. There were other manufacturers, but that was the bigger one. And now they're getting to a point where it's basically just built into your word editor. Is there really a difference between SSD and regular hard drives? Are the SSDs worth the extra money? All right. So acronym alert, SSD is solid state drive. 
And mm-hmm. what this is, is it's a new technology that has come out. It's been out for a while now, and it's meant to replace mechanical hard drives. So when you push the power button and have that spinning up sound and all that kind of stuff, that would be a mechanical hard drive. Solid states are capable of doing the same thing a mechanical would, but they are solid state memory. So there's nothing that moves, and they're made in a very similar fashion to a flash drive. So like your USB memory stick, that kind of a thing. There's a little difference in the technology, but it's the same idea. Usually are capable of larger sizes and larger storage and can boot a computer. And in my opinion, yes, they're very much worth the money. It speeds your boot up time, even on a slower computer considerably. They run faster. They are able to get to information quicker. And uh, I like I like having them. They have some hybrid models for when this was really expensive when it first came out. They would actually run your operating system on the flash drive, and then you would save to a mechanical drive. So it was kind of the best of both. Now you can get a flash drive for under $100, or SSD rather, for under $100. They can actually run your entire computer, and they do make them where they drop in replacements, so you don't have to buy a completely new system to be able to get the benefit of SSD. Now, to every plus, there's a downside. The one big one is solid-state drives do have a limited number of writes. For a normal computer user, it's not something you'll run into, but if you do use them on a server or something high volume, you want to be concerned about that and see they're different for different manufacturers, and it's just a matter of reading the box. What is Amazon Halo? Amazon Halo, question that came in here, and this is a product that was announced by Amazon uh, just a little while ago. In fact, it's still on early access with them if you want to try it out, and what it is is a thing like a Fitbit. So it's their own version of it, but it kind of takes it to the next level, in which case it uh, tracks just about everything, including your sleep and other uh, things like that that uh, current smartwatches and stuff are just starting to get into. Um, It will analyze your sleep patterns. And then there's a whole bunch of backup software, which is typical for Amazon, where it can analyze and look at different things and be able to help you out figuring out things like distractions and all of that kind of stuff, see where you're spending your time, see where you're spending your activity. And it seems like something that's pretty decent. Now, one of the things that, in my opinion, I prefer about the Fitbit is the Fitbit has a screen. This one does not. Now, Amazon's saying that that's actually a benefit because there's less distractions from the device. So, you know, we'll kind of see where that that goes. Uh, it's immediately available in three colors and retailing for $64.99 on their site. Does it cost money to freeze my credit? It shouldn't, but that doesn't mean it doesn't. So, <laughs> <laughs> and where this question comes from is a listener um, who we've been talking about hacks and all of that that's been going on lately, and they had their identity stolen and have been trying to deal with it. And are about eight months into having to fight that, which is never an easy battle to deal with. And they got on and unfortunately got onto a site where they tried to charge them a lot of money to freeze their credit. All three of the credit reporting agencies do offer this option for free, but you have to go to each site individually and go in and register for an account, and it's a different process for each one. But it is not something that you should actually have to pay for. And if you do go with a company that does it for you and you choose that route, that's fine. But check out the company and make sure that they're not trying to rip you off either because there's so many people out there that will do that. And I just found it was easy enough for me to go to all three of the providers, get in there, lock down my credit, took me a couple of hours and it was done. This is User Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break.
Welcome back. This is User Friendly 2.0. Steve, welcome. Hello, guys. So you've got a great interview for us today. What are what are we got? Well, what this interview entails is a, a revisiting with a guest who I had on a couple of months back, an author named Sandy Lene. And she's actually one of my Thin Veil investigators who I'm doing the uh, Thin Veil documentary with. She's a psychic. But something that interesting that she does is she's able to actually visit locations mentally. It's almost like an astral projection where she's able to actually go to a location and kind of reveal some of what she sees there. And uh, the interesting thing that we did was um, we did a location for an investigation that's coming up. So it should be really interesting. No, it sounds like it. And with no further ado, let's go. Roll it. Here we are talking again, bringing back a really neat interview guest. Uh, she was on with us a couple of months back talking about some of her great books about Northern Nevada and haunted and ghostly places throughout this area. And she's also a television and radio personality here, someone who was doing some documentary work with me on ghost hunting and the paranormal called Thin Veil Investigators. Sandy Lene, welcome back to User Friendly. Oh, thank you. It's always an honor to be on the show. Well, it's always fun. And one of the things that is interesting about this trip is one of the reasons why I'm bringing you back is because I had something kind of interesting happen to me a couple of weeks back. Actually, it happened to our host, Bill. Uh, a security mm -hmm. system at his home uh, is tied to some infrared security cameras, and there was a tr something triggered the security system in his house late one night, and he recorded some rather interesting video that he shared with me, and then I also shared with you and the rest of the Thin Veil group, and our jaws kind of dropped because of some of the paranormal energy that we saw being displayed and that had gotten recorded on the security right. system, which was... But that's always fun. I mean, I love getting that stuff that I can't explain and that we, you know, it, it creates a new investigation, new interesting thinking, so what have you. And uh, in reviewing this footage, it kind of led to another interesting kind of a side tangent where you've introduced me to something that you do where you actually can mentally visit places, almost like an astral projection called remote viewing. Tell us a little bit about right. remote viewing and what you do with that. Well, what I do is, from the comfort of my own home, I can go to any place on the earth, and I'm like physically present there, although it's just my essence is there, but I can see, touch, hear, feel, smell, and taste exactly where I'm at, just wow. by visiting with like a mind power. Okay. Now, we actually did that with the location, um, with, you know, Bill's old family home here. And we had you do a remote viewing. And one of the things that you did detect almost immediately, in fact, it almost blew you over, was there was a very strong, pungent, kind of musty smell to the place that you detected immediately as you were kind of going right. down hallways and rooms to room to room. And, and something else that, that I found particularly interesting is you found lots of presences there. Yes, I did. That house is full. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if Bill knows that. Um, okay. so, so he and I may have to have a, con a separate conversation about this. Uh, but um, so, and, you know, what was also interesting is that some of the, the essences that you detected there, they range 
from the 1800s until like 2008. That's a that's a yes, pretty that's, that's a pretty the, wide the, that's a wide swath of time. Yes, it is. Um, but 1880s was one what was what one spirit said. Okay, and then there was an elderly man that said he was fr- he crossed over in 2008. Wow. Okay. Yeah, new conversational material with Bill is certainly coming. So, and I understand that that this is not this is something that you can do anywhere with a series of coordinates or a physical address location. I mean, you you do this internationally. Yes, I do. I work with a filmographer and a a, a documentary artist like yourself over in Italy, mm-hmm. and she will send me a, the coordinates of a particular place. And the nanosecond that I'm done looking at that coordinate or address, if she sends me, I'm at that place. Wow. And so I, again, feel, touch, hear, smell, and I send her my findings, and then she creates a history documentary from okay. my findings and her historical research. That's amazing. I think I'm going to have to get in touch with her, because uh, mm. I, would, <clears throat> I would love to see some of the documentaries and some of the, the film projects that she has done based on these remote viewings that you have. So, I mean, this is, I find this totally fascinating. Now, now this is something that um, you actually give classes on. You actually give classes on how to do remote viewing. How do those work? Well, um, what I do is first, I have you learn about your psychic ability. And then I have you hone your psychic ability. And then that just helps you slide right on into a remote skill. And I really feel that a psychic ability and remote view skill, they just are like hand in glove. If you learn one, you could do the other. Got it. Okay. So uh, you were telling me an interesting story about someone who was taking the class very lightly, um, almost being snarky. And and he (laughs) he ended up being uh, very much... In I guess he he developed some pretty good powers where he turned himself into a believer before your class was over. Yeah, that was interesting. I like that. I've had quite a few class <laughs> students that'll do that. <laughs> they come in, they're very nervous. Right. When they leave, they're very happy because they've learned a new skill. Wow. Now, when you do a remote viewing session like the one we did, <clears throat> the one we did earlier, I can see because um, we did we did it through a Zoom session. So I was kind of watching you uh, through the computer in front of your computer doing this, and I could see how it affected you. That it, it looks mm-hmm. like it's something that it tends to be very mentally draining. Uh, are there yes, other other now? Do you ever have residual effects from a remote viewing session? Well, it takes me about 10 minutes to, quote-unquote, come back to reality. And I always have to drink a glass of water because water is very healing on a spiritual, metaphysical level. Makes sense. Okay. So, if someone someone wanted to learn about your remote viewing sessions, how do they they get in touch with you? How do they become part of a class session? Well, I can only have local students because I do a lot of hands-on, and so I couldn't, like, make a video or anything. Sure. Okay. If you were interested in a remote view, my website, you can get a hold of me, is, uh, well, my email is admin at sandyspsychicstones.com. There you go. So, uh, who knows, you may start getting some calls from people who want you to look at a place in a far, far away land. 
Well, Sandy, yes. Lenny, thank you so much for joining us here again on User Friendly. It's always fun catching up and very, very interesting as always. Bill, Jeremy, and Gretchen, you guys take it away. Steve, thank you. This is User Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. Great show this week. Love Lord of the Rings. Love learning all this new stuff about it. It's, uh, you know, something that uh, there are many people that have enjoyed these stories and have enjoyed the movies. And it's enough to really be able to kind of dive into to understand it. A great franchise. And I, I, I really enjoyed the discussion you guys had. Oh, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> so on that topic, a lot of us are binge watching things right now. And I know that We've talked about this a little bit over the past couple of weeks, some of the new things that are dropping onto the various streaming media platforms. And there's another show that actually has been out for a while, but they're publishing new episodes, and that's The Flash. And that is on Netflix. And both of you have been watching it. Yeah, so we started watching it a long time ago. And then for some reason, something happened and we got distracted and weren't able to come back to it. So we've been binge-watching it lately. <laughs> yeah, it's fun because every now and then they do crossover episodes with the other three properties on the, on the CW. Yeah, and we, we also used to watch um, Arrow, Green, Green Arrow. Arrow. Yeah, really like that one, too. But see, now they've also added Supergirl and Legends of Tomorrow, which is a whole bunch of other superheroes doing the weekly time travel episode episodic thing. Right. But every now and then, in The Flash, they do uh, a combined show where you have to go watch an episode of Supergirl, then an episode of Green Arrow, then an episode of Flash, and then an episode of Legends of Tomorrow. Or else the thing won't make Or it make won't sense. make any sense. This sounds so complicated. Like, you, know, you get stuck in something and it's like, well, that doesn't make any sense. What? Oh, I got to go watch these other things. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, like <laughs> so, I said. That, <laughs> so this is a big heads up to all of the fans of these shows. Or if you're, if you're new to it, you're going to need to be able to hop around once in a while. Yeah, and Wikipedia is your friend. Okay. <laughs> because it lists, you, can, you can look up like the things you're watching, and it'll say, this is going to happen, and this is going to happen. But this episode, you also have to watch this and this and that. And you're like, oh, okay, this is part three. So you got to go find something else. Like, oh, okay, cool. Luckily, it's all on Netflix. <laughs> yeah, actually, it's been fun. That's good. I was going to be my question if they're all on the same platform or if you have to jump around from yep. that too. No, they're all on the same platform, which really makes it a lot easier. Yeah, and then they're all they're all DC properties. They all came from the comic book, so I I know that guy and this guy, and he came from over here and he came from over there, and that's that, and this is the backstory on that guy and that guy. So and it's been fun. Yeah, it has been fun, and I think a lot of the actors they look like they they're enjoying themselves. They do. So no, that sounds they're... that sounds absolutely great. <laughs> And I'll tell you what, I don't know about you, but it's starting to become almost an issue to have all of these different streaming media platforms. It's like you have to have different apps and subscribe to different things. So in the upcoming weeks, we're going to be talking about a new product called Kaleidoscope. And that uh -oh. product is supposed to make them all available in one place. We'll see how well it works. Mm -hmm. So that's coming up on future episodes. Hey, we're also looking at still possibly going to the Star Trek convention. I'm a little concerned about the safety with COVID and all that kind of stuff. So we'll have to see how that works out, but it's at least still on the space calendar. Suits. Yeah, space suits might be it. And we'll see what happens. And until then, this is user friendly 2.0, keeping you safe on the cutting edge. 
User-Friendly 2.0 is copyright 2020, User-Friendly Media Group, Inc. The views and opinions expressed in this show are those of the host and not necessarily User-Friendly Media Group, Inc. or this station. Music licensing by BMI. Hosting provided by wearetechnology.com. Podcast available at theanswerportland.com or userfriendlyshow.com.